0: I'm good, how are you?
1: Good, good. You know, you called, and it was ringing, but not in my headphones. And I tried to answer it, and then you weren't there.
0: I was. So, you know what's funny about that? When I called, it wasn't in my headphones, and I thought, Oh, I've totally messed up my Skype uh, um, settings. I don't know where everything mm-hmm. is. And then mm-hmm. then you called, so I was like, well, let me see. It's not ringing, but I'll try and, and pick it up. And uh, lo and behold... You're there. You're on the other line. You're on the, the other side of the line,
1: and 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 uh, and you're in my ears, <laughs> and I, I'm in your ears, and, and,
0: and, uh, and not in a
1: dirty way. And
0: to you too. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, I gotta stop my Dropbox and Evernote. All the all the good things in life. Oh, Evernote, go, go, go. Quit Evernote. All right. Um, that, that should keep my, my internet fast. Hey, speaking of fast internet, guess what's coming Mm. to Raleigh, North Carolina. Fios. Google fiber. Google fiber. Same thing. No, it's not the same thing. It's better. It's better. It's like, uh, it's like Fios. Fios is what you have, right? Right. Yeah. It's, I I hear Fios is good, but it's like the, it's like the Adobe of (laughs) high speed internet. And, and Google fiber is like the apple of high speed internet.
1: Right. And, and their motto is don't be evil. So what could possibly go wrong then?
0: Right. I, I don't know
1: what, <laughs> where, whereas Verizon's motto is, yeah, sure. We're evil. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Just accept it. Just accept just, it. Just, exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's like the Nike motto. Just do it. <laughs> just accept it. Um, I, uh, so I'm excited about Google fiber though, because, yeah. uh, cause I, I feel like, so I, am sure it'll make the podcast sound even more high definition. Yes. Um, Cuz that's why people listen. That's why people listen. I the people you know who my favorite listeners are are the are, are the listeners who download our podcast and listen to it on their pono. <laughs> from, my, <laughs> my
1: my favorite listeners are the ones that download for years and then finally start listening <laughs> from
0: both ends. From both ends. From both ends as they do. Oh, um so yeah, so anyway, we're getting Google Fiber. I don't know if we're gonna nice. get it, but but it's coming.
1: <laughs> oh, you mean you don't know if you're gonna get it at your house, yeah. but it's coming to your town.
0: It's coming to our town. It's
1: coming but, to a town near you.
0: Yes, yeah, I want to get it. Um, I, I, yeah, I think I, I think we will. Um, cool. Yeah, so it's it's but they have this whole bundle. Like I think you can you have to get Google TV as well, which whatever that means. I don't know. I guess I'll have to have a Chromecast or something. <laughs> <laughs> um. I so so anyway that that'll increase our 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 upload download rate speeds by you know immensely um, yeah which is which is pretty awesome and it was a it's a big deal like we have this uh, Facebook page for we live very close to Wake Forest but we don't we, like like Mike Batson is router mm-hmm. I live near Wake Forest but not actually in Wake Forest mm-hmm. but it's our closest like community. Center so there's a Facebook, a, a crazy crazy Facebook group page with like fifteen thousand members, um, hmm. yeah and 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 it's, it's crazy mainly because of some of the the excitement that goes on on this page the drama it was Danny Danny said that it was hmm. her Christmas present to me to add me to this <laughs> um, and and it is it's fairly phenomenal anyway the there's been a lot of like discussion on that page about um, about Google, Google fiber coming because people, the people of Rollsville and the people of Wake Forest are quite upset that uh, the announcement did not include them by name. And they're not sure whether that means it's only coming to Raleigh or, or whatever. Rollsville's huh. another little community here. Interesting. It is. It is. It's, it's incredible. Let me, let me do a, a cursory um, just, just to give you a sense of this Wake Forest community information board. Here are the things that are posted there. Um, I'm looking for some recommendations for a hotel in Myrtle beach. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. that's a good one.
1: Um, now, and just for the listeners, um, who are not familiar with North Carolina geography, Myrtle beach is nowhere near <laughs> nope. Lake forest. Right. Not at all. Not at all. It's yeah.
0: Um, okay, folks. I, so am I one of. One of those who get a white coat syndrome at the mention of any doctor. I'm in need of a good family doctor and women's doctor in the Wake Forest or Raleigh area. Any good suggestions? In search of a company to take out a tree in our front yard. Stump and all. Stump and all might be, might be is a good band name. Mm, mm-hmm. um, so, but usually as as is the case with the internet, the gold is in the comments. Yes. <laughs> so there are just some rants. Um, on this, on this board that it's, yeah, it, it's, it's a good, it's a nice distraction. Um, I have a system when I'm putting the boys to bed, uh, which I'm sure is not, we, you know, Daniel and I have probably, we've ruined all of our parenting. Um, you know, we, we have, have gone against all the parenting books and, and when we put both our kids to bed, we read to them and then we, we lay in their beds with them may, pretty much until they fall asleep. Um, but both our, our kids have this expectation that, that we'll be there. They don't need us to, they just want, you know, they just want us beside them falling asleep, which is very nice. You know, it seems great. Um, it sometimes takes, you know, 20 minutes or half an hour at which time I, um, scroll through Instagram and the wait, uh, forest community information board on Facebook. So it's, that's where I get my, it's my distraction as I'm putting my children to bed. makes me a bad parent. I'm sure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah and, There's and a that, lot that is that is not that is
1: not a sustainable no um strategy cuz like you know when they're when they're away at college it's, it's a long t- way to drive.
0: Yeah, but we'll just FaceTime, I guess. I'll, I'll be there. We'll so, FaceTime well, you over hang the whole up. night.
1: No, no, you hang on
0: Yeah, no, no, you first, you first. Oh, um,
1: so I have to I have to ask. So is this Wake Forest uh, discussion board? Is it sanctioned by like the town of Wake Forest, or is it some? Is it is it at all affiliated with anything official?
0: No, it's rogue. It's okay. um, a guy who started it. From what I understand, is a real estate agent, and mm-hmm. and it's grown in popularity over the last few months. Like it started, Danny said probably back in November. There was about a thousand, fifteen hundred. Um, members. And now it's growing. Like I'm just looking here, there's a thousand new people have, have joined this week.
1: Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So, so it's just exploding.
0: It's exploding. It's really, I mean, it's engulfing, it's engulfing the town of Wake Forest.
1: Well, I, the reason why I have to ask is, so one of the recent, um, volunteer things I did was I joined the, um, innovation committee of Freehold Borough <laughs> and the, uh, the innovation committee is, uh, their first mission was to help, the borough revamp its website and we had extensive discussions about social media and the place for social media on the website. And, you know, and again, having discussions with people that don't understand computers (laughs) about, you know, like, well, should we, should we have a Facebook on our website? <laughs> um, well, we'd have to we'd have to archive those comments because of the Open Public Meeting Act rules, and it just was like, wow. I would just sort of um, smile, you know that that kind of like, uh huh, yeah. I'm I'm just sitting here. This this will I, get resolved. I, I, I I'm a. <laughs> I know about computers, um, but I am not going to say anything because I don't want to have a discussion about whether we should have a Facebook on our website <laughs> <So>. <laughs> or a Twitter. Should we or have a Twitter.
0: a Twitter? Should we have a Twitter on our website? Um,
1: yeah, so – Anyway, I think – I'm just looking at the Freehold website, Freehold Borough website right now. I think – and what we did do some good because we did vet a bunch of contractors and I think we went with a contractor that I thought was the least um, screwed up uh, of, of any of the the, the, con- the, the, the the people that were bidding to, to put this together. Um, and I th- and it looks like a new website. It's, it still does not look fantastic, but, um, but at least we have a tab now for e-government.
0: <laughs> oh.
1: Not quite sure what e-government is, but there you go. It's um, there anyway. So, so I, just the the social media and local government uh, was just uh, on my uh, on my uh, uh, radar to 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 ask you about anyway. So, <laughs>
0: well, it's it, it's funny that you asked about the sanction part of it, mm-hmm. um, because what there there are two. I mean, there are things that I love about the internet. Um, there are lots of things that I love about <laughs> the internet, Don. Um, one is that people. As, and I don't know where, where Doug got this, this quote, but he's, he's shared it with us in email that the internet is a place where people who, um, are searching for others who have the same opinions go to congregate and, and then it persists, it, you know, it rolls. Mm-hmm. And, and so this, this board is, is all about that. Mm-hmm. It's also a place where people, I've taken a couple of screenshots of it because, um, there's some interesting food safety stuff that, that mm-hmm. pops up. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. um, did you go to this pizza place last night because my family got sick? Mm-hmm. And then, look like literally just sourcing from uh, a sample of the I don't know thirty thousand people that live in in Wake Forest and fifteen thousand that happen to be on this board um, of saying, yeah, no, I ate there last night and I didn't get sick, or oh no, I ate there three weeks ago and and it was great. <laughs> or no one would get sick from pizza. Like, and it's just the mm-hmm. the string of conversation is is fascinating. The right. other thing that's popped up uh, on the board is um, the uh, I've seen some questionable legal practices when it comes to food, transport, hmm. and sales. So, for instance, someone posted, "I'll be going to Pennsylvania this weekend. I'm going to be bringing back a whole bunch of raw milk. Hmm. Would anybody like some?" And and then there was this string of, like, yeah, uh, can you bring me back two gallons or or whatever? Um, or can you get me some raw milk cheese while you're there? Um, and it's so – it's just it, – it's fairly incredible to, to see this whole, like, network unfold. Um, and, and are there any people weighing in
1: saying, you people are crazy. Raw milk is the devil. It's dangerous. It will kill you and your kids and, no. and, and all of that? N- no. But it, no. 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 Huh. And, interesting. And, yeah. Cause and, it's the internet. So I figured there would be some of that, but again, if it's maybe, if it's all like-minded people, you know, who are, who are, who have the same perspective, then you're not going to have
0: that. So. Right. Right. Yeah. It's it, it. So I haven't seen any of that, um, at all. Um, hmm. and, but, but there, yeah. So it's, it's, it's just, it's just fascinating to, to sit back and watch as, as this whole thing unfolds. Um, the other thing that's, that's happened on this, we've had, you know, on a, on a more kind of serious note, we've had some reports of, um, attempted child abductions and, and this Wake Forest community information board has been the, a, a quicker source of rumor mm-hmm. and maybe not fact that mm-hmm. is, uh, than, than official channels so of much. Course. Yeah. So much so that the police have actually, um, as they've been investigating these, these reported, um, uh, you know, uh, abdu- abduction attempts, um, have said, please, please don't talk about this on, on your Facebook page. Like this is, huh. it's going, we're, we're now responding to a lot of things that may be false because of, um, this, this Wake Forest community information page. Oh wow. Yeah, it's fascinating. It, it is, right? Like it's it's a whole it's you know and and I guess you know I look at it as you know as we as we study this stuff and see how this you know these discussions play out. I look at it in one sense and say, "Well, that's exactly why the internet was was created, was the democracy of of information and and you know the police don't own all the information." And And that's ex- and that's
1: exactly what the problem with the internet is, this right. democracy of information.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's so exciting though. When it, when you see it happen, Oh yeah, it's so like, that's, th- this is, and, and, and just, you know, probably like your, um, your freehold innovation council, um, experience, um, you know, the, the, the folks that aren't, that aren't in the world of this are, are extremely frustrated by it that, that it's all, you know, that, that they don't, they don't see that. Of course, this is the way the communication around child abductions is going to go like, of course, when this exists, that's, there's going to be all this rumor and, and the police saying, please don't do that. Mm-hmm. Just like fuels it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so some of the discussions around that and it's, I, it's a closed group. So I can't, I'll, I'll link to it, but I think you, mm-hmm. you have to get added to it, um, are around this, um, you know, or, or we're really around, well, if the police were really doing their job, we wouldn't have to post about it here. Like, Oh man, people go crazy. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's entertaining. <laughs> so there. The, fascinating. The, it is. Fascinating. I'm sure it's incredibly, incredibly fascinating. Speaking of entertaining internet things, mm. um, you know, the, the whole world of lip dubbing that, that had a, a run maybe 18 months ago, you know about this where, where someone will, um, make a, make a video that, that is like staged and uncut, you know, four minute long and 15 people will, will lip sync and they'll, they'll have dance routines and things. My children are extremely into lip dub videos on YouTube now.
1: I, I, you know, the only thing like that vaguely connects to that, that I'm aware of is that there's a very funny and, and well, very well produced uh, video series of uh, basically NFL uh, football players, oh, yeah. uh, where they're saying something, and then someone else is is reading their lips incorrectly, um, <laughs> which is which you know which is hilarious because they're they're saying stuff that you know it's just it's comical, but it's not what they're actually saying. Um, that that's the only. But these are not videos. These are just uh, these are just just humorous uh, uh, comedy bit. Things. So right. Right. I'm not, I'm not, I am not, So I'm not familiar with this thing that you are talking about.
0: Okay. Well, I'll send you a couple of links here. Okay. Um, the, uh, the most recent one, uh, was one that we viewed this morning, which is a lip dub of a Bruno Mars song, Uptown Funk. Okay. Um, and it is a group of, um, university students from Canada who have done it They're Well, it's, it, it's, it's well done when you, when you see it, like it takes, it's gotta take a lot of work to make these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, I don't think my kids, uh, understand that part of it
1: that it's, uh, and how much work it is.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, ah, Outback just yelled at me through YouTube.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I just started playing that, <laughs> that NFL video on my side, but fortunately for whatever reason, it doesn't come onto the audio track or through our headphones or yeah. through, or through, uh, through the internet, but... through
0: the interwebs. Yeah. Um, so anyway, check out the Uptown Funk Lip Dug, Saugeen Maitland Hall, five up UWO video because my kids, my kids are all over it. And then you'll get Uh, lost in a lip dub cycle, deep dive of the internet. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I got some stuff, I got some stuff I want to talk about. Okay. Um, You know,
1: and, and we should share, um, with the, with the, the listeners that basically, um, what we did was we neither one of us really did. The, well, I guess you sort of did the the thing that you the, you always do, which right. is at the last minute you throw a bunch of stuff in the Dropbox <laughs> for us to talk about. And what I did was not not the thing that I usually do, which is uh, I I usually prepare like well in advance and then don't do anything. What I did this time is I just didn't do anything, including preparing in advance. But but I did I did make some notes while you were getting your coffee. So I have a bunch of things uh, to talk about and to ask you about. Um, so I think we have enough for a show.
0: I hope so. I'm eating. <laughs> by the way, uh, you're eating. I, yeah. I hear that. I'm tr- I'm sorry. Um, I, and I can't figure out what to do. Like I'm, I'm muting you. I'm not muting you, uh, or muting muting me. Anyway, yeah. This is how you're supposed to run a podcast. Just eat. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so so do you, if you want to eat for a while, I can talk about <laughs> what I've been doing recently, and okay. then uh, you know then you can then you can have a chance to chew and swallow. All right, go for it so um so a couple- couple of things to talk about. The first one is I just finished doing a special two day in house better process control school, and these again, for those that are are not familiar these these are courses that have been run by extension specialists like me, and um, i don't i don't think uh, ben does them, but he has colleagues there at North Carolina uh, yeah, I uh, State that, that do them. Um, and, and basically what they are is they are uh, for people who make acidified and low-acid canned foods. And so I was contacted by this company recently, and I won't, I won't say their name, but it's a big, uh, big company that you would recognize. And they have been working on a contract for one of their customers to make a food that is essentially – an acidified food product, but it's not, it's a, it's a, so it's low pH. It's low water activity. It's a paste, but it's not, the water activity is not so low that it's less than 0.85. So it is not exempt from the acidified food regulations, but it's, it's quite low. And they have, they make it in a, a, a jacketed kettle. They heat it up and they cool it down in this jacketed kettle. And then they dispense it. Not aseptically, but in a sanitary manner, they uh, they dispense it into uh, pre-sanitized totes, um, and then they they've done challenge studies on the product, and it does not support pathogen growth. And in fact, pathogens that would be present in the product uh, gradually. Uh, Die over time, Um, but they are filing this as an acidified food process with the FDA, and so because of that, they need uh, their workers to go through a better process control school and be and be trained. And so I had the pleasure of doing this, and again, we had some very interesting discussions. And what it what it what it made me think is, and and I've been watching the evolution of better process control schools. Over you know the 25 years of my career, I may have mentioned on the podcast the very first extension teaching gig that I was contracted to do or that I agreed to do happened after I had accepted the position at Rutgers, but before I started, um, and I was asked to speak as as part of a. Um, uh, Better Process Control School at the University of Maryland, which was historically taught by Maryland, Rutgers, and uh, VPI, uh, Virginia Tech, um, whatever whatever they're called these days. Um, and um, so I've been doing this for a long time. But what I see is that the industry – I mean the science is – I mean it used to be back in the day. It was easy because you made a food, you put it in a can. You made a food, you put it in a jar – it was acidified. It was low acid. And that was pretty much it. And then we started getting aseptic and then we started getting aseptic with particulates. And now we have this particular process that this company is using that it sort of fits within the constraints of the regulations but not quite. And it just it, – it made me think increasingly that like the, the industry is moving rapidly and in very exciting ways, in very challenging ways in terms of – potentially challenging ways in terms of microbiology – but um, but I'm not sure the regulations are keeping up, especially the acidified and low acid canned food regulations. And so I don't know. It's just it just made me you know in sort of a uh, you know a, a pontificating state about the future of, of the industry. So I'm just I'm just very uh, interested uh, uh, interested in that. And then the other thing that's happened recently is I've been working with a company. That recently went through an FDA inspection and as as often – and this is why, Ben, I can never go to work for the FDA because if, if I go to work for the FDA, um, there will be no one out there to call BS on, 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 <laughs> on bogus FDA inspectors who are, who are messing with, uh, messing with uh, companies that, and the companies don't have, always have the technical expertise. Like they have enough technical expertise to know the inspector is, is not right, but they don't have enough expertise to refute it. And so anyway, I wanna, I wanna ask you again, and we'll, we'll do this all confidentially without revealing any details, but I wanna ask you about a particular process that the company is following, and then what the FDA inspector said, and then what your thoughts are on the relative safety of of the process. So, oh, I, I love um, it. A, a so we'll, we'll come, we can come back back around to that. But th- so those are two two things that have been going on for me recently: the better process control schools, and then also this uh, this company that's being um, har- harassed is probably too strong a word, but this this company who's had um, uh, an an, ins- an FDA inspection whose results they, they don't agree with.
0: Um, can I can I jump in on the the first part on sure. sort of the industry and being innovative and sure. and the regulation part of things? Sure. And this is actually meets one of the things that I wanted to or that I threw into Dropbox about 17 minutes ago. Um I I was contacted by um by a guy who um is really interested in sustainability and is really interested in food waste and um and I think also has a business around packaging, so he's so so he's very passionate um and you know i don't i'm not I, none of this is like there's no websites or anything to look at, mm-hmm. so i can't you know i won't share mm-hmm. any specific mm-hmm. names but but this individual um what he'd like to do you know and this is on the the retail- retail side of things um he'd like to work with restaurants, especially small independent restaurants who who have food waste, pre-consumer food waste, things like, you know, cabbage that was shredded that, that they couldn't, um, that they didn't use or, or mm-hmm. whatever. And, and he wants to create a system of donations where they basically cook and make a stew out of a whole bunch of food. Um, and then package it for distribution at soup kitchens and pantries in, in, Distribution by not not directly to um, to uh, you know someone who's who's under privilege, um, but uh, to you know another facility that's going to reheat and warm it up and then distribute it in a in a shelter or something like that. Um, but he but he wants to do this. He, he he doesn't own any restaurants, but he wants to work with restaurants to um, conduct a cook chill ROP process and f- you know cook this this stew, package in in kind of a standard cook till you know hot hot pack um bag, seal the bags use a vacuum sealer freeze the you know cool it correctly and freeze it and then distribute it and and you know i don't he he contacted me for for some help i don't know exactly what the help is that that he's he's looking for other than you know he, he kind of asked what are the what are the you know hazards associated with this and what are the risks of it happening and what should I do? And he talked about freezing and had, you know, sort of had an understanding of, of the, the ROP stuff that that we worry about in retail on, um, you know, the clostridium botulinum and and, in, in that cooktail process, and then also listeria monocytogenes from a, um, you know, storage kind of side of things. But why that all matters and where it fits with your, your discussion is the, the regulatory world that we that we have, and our you know we we follow the 2009 food code, um, looks at that pre-consumer donations that are coming from a, a, a restaurant as a regulated food, which really surprised me, and it throws a whole bunch of wrenches into his into his idea. And though he could manage the risk very well, and it's a it's a pretty low risk process when you when you you know cook ch- as long as he's it suggests that people are cooling correctly and then freezing the the product and then distributing it frozen. Um, it's a it's a regulatory mess because what it what I've what I've uncovered and he's probably uncovered the same thing is that each individual who is looking to donate food will have to apply for a variance specific to the stew that they're going to make. And then they' have to have a HACCP plan to go along with that variance and it could be a very basic HACCP plan, but each of them are going to have to apply for a, a variance on their own because it's all you know just individual restaurants and if and what what I think he's looking for help from me from and what he's realized is um, you know restaurants want to give away stuff and and want to help with you know with food waste and they they recognize that there's waste but in this situation it's really hard for them to do it without adding a bunch of burden to them for something that they're not going to make money on. And right and it and it and it's a it's a such a huge
1: burden that basically it's a non-starter, right? It's like absolutely. Why, why would I do a ton of extra work to uh, to take something that would normally go in the trash and give it to somebody that's going to do some good. So no, and 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 this is you know, and this whole this is this is an, this is a, and we could, this will nicely segue into the second thing that I want to talk about, which is because this particular company that's that's getting you know uh, beat up by the FDA inspector, given a hard time by the FDA inspector, is also a Cook Chill ROP oh, style perfect. product. So, but, 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 so what do we do in this situation? I mean, I understand from a regulatory perspective, I understand the risks, right? Like, like R. and, but, you know, and then, and we can, we can spend a little time talking about ROP, which for those that don't know is reduced oxygen packaging and, and food microbiologists have for relatively good reason for many, many years um, uh, put the fear of God in people about ROP packaging because botulism, right? So, so this is if you do it wrong, it's this a is a very, very dangerous thing. However, given the the what you've described to me and the process as, you, as you've described it to me, it's pretty safe. And so, the question is how do you how do you navigate? The complex regulatory structure, which is what it is, to try to do something that is relatively simple, relatively relatively straightforward, relatively safe, which could have a tremendous benefit in terms of reducing food waste, a tremendous benefit in terms of helping people who who don't have enough food to eat, right? Uh, it's, it's a very interesting and very complex problem, right?
0: Absolutely. And that, yeah. I mean that's, that's the thing is um, – I, I really you know, my interpretation of of our implementation of the food code initially was oh what you you know this is what I said to him when I was on the phone with him I was like what well, you just described to me it can't can't possibly be regulated because you're giving the food away and we have this like very you know our, our the our, our state kind of looks at if it is not in commerce like food pantries are are not regulated in our state they're not permitted. Or um, uh, inspected facilities? You kidding? No, no, it's ha- like food for pay. That's it. If it is not food for pay, no regulation. Whoa! Yeah. So we have. So so.
1: That's that. I'm sure you just blew my mind. I can't. I can't imagine. I am pretty sure they're regulated in the state of New Jersey.
0: It, it's about. Fifty percent of the states have some regulation. Yeah, wow. So it wouldn't surprise me if if New Jersey's the Louisiana is a really interesting one. They are, (laughs) 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 yeah, but they're super regulated. Like, oh well, yeah, because there are a lot of them,
1: right? Right. Louisiana is a pretty poor state. It's yeah. Right? So well, a, lot, I, a lot of people that that are on the fringes that do need that kind of support. Oh, that's fascinating.
0: Yeah. So we have. I mean, it, it's it, it's always been really interesting, and it it makes for an easy answer as a you know an extension specialist because someone says, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna run, uh, we're gonna give away a bunch of food. What do we? You know, how, how do we do? How do we comply with the food code? And and the answer. The, uh, for the most part, is not You don't that, have to. You don't have yeah. to. Um, oh, my God. And, but, but here's the cool part of this, um, or the cool not-so-good part, but but this interpretation situation. The, fo- the food code um, doesn't explicitly talk about uh, food for pay. It talks about customers and distribution of ROP product, and the interpretation mm-hmm. that FDA has and the interpretation that our state has adopted is that if someone does what this gentleman's looking to do, um, you know, does this ROP process, distributes, does it in a permitted, permitted facility, and then distributes it, then the food code is absolutely in place, even though someone's not paying for it at the end. Huh. Which also blows my mind because it's like it's food, it's not food for pay, no, it's not. But it's it's done. It it falls under distribution. Our our interpretation of distribution is they have done it. And there's precedent for this. I threw this into Dropbox. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a a letter, and so I you know I did some some nice googling on this because I'm I'm like vastly interested in this. I want I want to make I want to make it easier for this guy. This seems like a really great idea. And it, it it can be it can be done safely, um, so there's uh, a, a an email that was sent to a whole bunch of people who are FDA folks, and this is like it's awesome yep. how this all happens, yep. um, and it's posted as a PDF on uh, on yep. our uh, public health website. And it's yep. from Shirley Baum, Shirley Baum, yep. in uh, February 2008, and the mm-hmm. question that that was posed to. Um, uh, to Shirley, I guess is is this Olive Garden is donating their cooked chilled products after three days. They freeze the products, which are still in sealed bags, and deliver them frozen to food pantries. The code is pretty clear in the regards of this issue. They claim that there is a national policy or allowance for this practice. Are you aware of it all? And so there's some discussion um, on it, and it basically just goes into why I cook chill. I won't go through all of that. Um, but the response from Shirley is. Olive Garden could request a variance based on freezing the product to be donated before the three-day shelf life at 38 is finished, provided they have a procedure and perhaps agreement with the recipient agency or food pantries that they will hold it frozen and open the bag immediately following thawing or rethermalize it from the fo- from the frozen state. So great, it exists. There's precedent for it, but it is like a crazy, complicated situation now. Every restaurant, so food, so right. Olive Garden, they put in one variants for their process and and it's like it's low impact with h- such high benefit he, the the grassroots nature of what what this guy's looking to do means maybe he's got 30 or 40 restaurants that have never done a variance and now he's got to help them facilitate that process it's, it's like you said it's a non-starter well
1: and even even if even if this guy only works with olive gardens right right each and every olive garden in each and every municipality would have to request a variance from each and every public health department, and now and again, it depends on. I don't know. This, uh, yeah. is, is North Carolina a home rule state? So like no, it, yeah. Okay. So, so, so for
0: us, it would be, we, you know, the uh, I sit on the statewide variance right. committee, and we would get a state single wide request. Vari- yeah. yeah, yeah. But still, it's, but,
1: yeah. but but imagine doing that in, in another state like right. New Jersey. You would have to go to each and every health department and you would get a different answer and a different interpretation and a different ruling potentially from each and every health department. Some would say yes. Some would say no. Some would say yes, but you have to do these things. Others would say yes, but you have to do these other things. I mean – It's crazy. It's, it's crazy, yeah,
0: Don. It's, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> who does, Who designed this country anyway and why does it work this way?
0: I don't know. I was – I blame the British for all those taxes. <laughs>
1: I, I blame I blame the
0: Canadians. Yeah, well, they, they
1: keep it up. Didn't we fight a war at one point and you guys lost or something? We won. You won? We won. You burned down oh, your white House. No, nah, you should have lost. See if you'd lost then maybe it would be different.
0: If we Yeah, exactly. We said <laughs> get out get out of Buffalo. Get out stay away from Fort Erie. Um, but so uh, but this is it's kind of crazy, right? Like so yeah. you and I look at this very I, you know i think similarly from a from a science based background and looking at risk and be like of course you can do what you're trying to do but the regulatory system which is supposed to be risk based and science based doesn't really allow you to because of the paperwork behind it and right
1: <sighs> right well and and again and it's not it's not like there are no food safety risks right oh yeah there it's, are yeah. there are some food safety risks so i mean it's you know, on the, on the one hand, the, the the humanitarian side of me says, well, yes, we should be making things easier for soup kitchens. On the other hand, the the, the conservative risk assessor part of me says, well, boy, we, we really can't, you know, we really don't want <clears throat> to open up the doors to making people sick. And then the risk assessor says, well, if we just have the right amount of data and, and if we just monitor things and then, you know, I don't know, it's just, uh, it just gets really complicated really quick. But, but. Yeah, and and yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's just an interesting interesting yeah. situation. So what's what do you think is going to happen with this guy?
0: I don't know. I, I really, um, I'm not sure. So I think after my initial conversation with them, and I was like, "Dude, this is totally unregulated. You're you're fine." And then once I <laughs> wor- circled back with the health inspector folks in, in the county, he's looking at, and, and they're like, "Well, here's our interpretation." And I was like, "Oh, I see where I see where you're going here." Um, I I don't know what's I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, so and what I I might suggest to him is to work on a standardized variance application. Right. right. And that says, okay, look, here's I'm going to give you one that is that is special. It's only for this program. These are the types of things that are going to go into the stews. Um, You know, I kind of told him, I was like, look, just don't. Don't mess around with with anything where you might have some C bot issues if anybody's refri- refrigerating it. Like I, mm-hmm. I basically said, stick to either absolutely frozen or forty one and below, and keep all the fish and, and seafood products out of it, <laughs> um, because because that'll just end, you know once you start getting into well I need a variance for this type of product that we're gonna hold it at thirty eight so our walk included and it's like just yep. don't that's that's gonna be crazy. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I'm going to suggest is to work on that and then give a form to, to these restaurants who want to participate and say, look, I've done 90% of the work for you. Here are the, the things that you could put into a stew here, are the bags, um, but you still need to file this. We could file them all together, um, and look at it, specially. Mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like the guy, you know, I, I want it to work. I want, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't want it to be like. Oh, he'll throw our hands up in the air and be like, "Ah, the system sucks." Yeah. Well, so so let's
1: let's let's segue from that to a discussion of the same issue, except <clears throat> you mentioned excluding seafood, right? So this is um, oh, seafood ROP. So this is this is a company that processes um, meat products. Vegetable products and seafood products, okay, and they just recently had an fda inspection and again, um, the FDA inspector's given them a hard time so there 's a bunch of different issues, some around cooking, some around cooling let 's separate the cooling issues aside because that 's you know we could, we can get into that if you want, but but the thing that i 'm really interested in your opinion on is the cooking side okay, and so <clears throat> Here's what here's what and I'll read from the company's email to me and again keep keep everything confidential and and you know not so that nobody could identify the, the company because I'm doing this with without their permission. But for the benefit. Of, <laughs> for the benefit of uh, for the benefit of anybody listening. Um <laughs> the shut ins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So um these are um two seafood soups. Uh, there's a, a crab soup and a clam chowder soup. Um, they have, uh, they have a pH that's, you know, five to six. They have a salt content around half a percent to 1%. So, you know, just generic, you know, generic soups, nothing special about them. <clears throat> Both of the soups are packed into, um, ROP bags and, um, uh, Uh, 30-ounce plastic cups. They're sold frozen to the customer, and they have a 12-month shelf life. The preparation process, the soups are cooked to 200 degrees Fahrenheit, and they are filled hot into the containers, um, they're they're basically uh, they're, they're made they 're made in batches in in kettles and and the the kettles uh you know mix the ingredients and they bring them up to the cooked temperature um, the The person who's uh, running the the operation is taking the temperature of the kettle and then when when it gets to the target temperature, which is again two hundred, they will um, say okay we 're done cooking and we start filling into the rop bags and to the cups. Um, the, they, it generally takes, um, uh, about half an hour to fill the contents of the kettle into all of the bags and all of the cups that they're making. Um, uh, and, and it, and it's always less than an hour from the start of, uh, putting it into the first bag until the, the, the kettle is completely empty. Okay.
0: Okay. What oh, question, mm-hmm. um, just for clear, clarification, mm-hmm. they are hot filling those bags. They're not cooling that product down.
1: They are filling when they when it gets to two hundred, they they put it into the filler and they start gotcha. filling. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Um, uh, the what they do is they um, so the bags uh, come out of the. F- the, the the products are being filled in, 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 in a filler okay the uh, quality assurance uh, tech is checking the fill temperatures and they check the fill temperatures three times they check the fill temperatures at the start of the batch at the middle of the batch and at the end of the batch okay mm-hmm. Um uh, so they have they have the 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 temperature of the kettle, which is 200 when they start filling, and then they have three representative temperatures during this, let's say, maximum one hour filling process: beginning, middle, and end. And I don't have uh, that information in the email, but I have from conversations with the company, like the fill temperatures are routinely around you know 180, right? Gotcha. So, those, so they're, they're really they're still really hot yeah, when they're way
0: above filling. 135
1: well way above 135 mean 165, you know, let's say 165 at the absolute lowest, okay. okay? Um the bags and the and the the uh the cups that they're filling into um uh, say keep frozen. Okay? The hot bags go into a, a chlorinated ice bath and uh and then they are um uh cooled down and then they go onto pallets and then they go into a uh, refrigerator and freezer and again we can talk about the cooling side of things, uh, but, you know, we've got data there that show that essentially they're, they're being cooled in a manner that I would, I would judge to be safe. So let me tell you. So that's what the company said. Now, let me tell you what the FDA says. Uh, the FDA says, um, your HACCP plan lists monitoring frequencies that do not ensure compliance with the critical limit. Your HACCP plan for these soups in ROP bags lists monitoring procedures at the cook step that do not ensure the critical limit is met. Your plan lists a critical limit of a temperature of at least 165 for 36 seconds to achieve the cook. However, your plan lists a monitoring procedure of thermometer and stopwatch. This critical limit does not ensure that the product was cooked to a minimum temperature of 165 degrees Fahrenheit for 36 seconds. So that's what the inspector wrote, and so, then
0: what I so so I'm confused. Yeah. So so that's not not kind of what there seems to be a a misinterpretation of what they're what they're doing. Is that the way you you see this? <laughs> like well, that <laughs> that the cook the cook set you know, is is at two hundred and that's continuously monitored. Right right or it's it's a batch right and the batch yes. it's
1: at 200 the batch is at 200
0: yeah. boom and it doesn't really matter the fill step is is a whole other, it's not a cook it's not a cook step and it's kind of a whole other thing and and they i would i mean i would say that you know I, it's like the it, it's like our our ongoing discussion of okay well it takes an hour um, i'm going to check the temperature three times Versus I'm going to check the temperature 12 times or 162 162 times, which one's better?
1: Right. Um, Oh, and I'm I'm now reading the second page of the report. Um, uh, Let's see. You stated you're taking the temperature of the soups on the top surface of the kettle using a digital thermometer with a four-inch probe. You are not taking the temperature of your seafood soups in a method that ensures the critical limit is met for each particle cooked. What? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So how you, what? How, how could you do that? Yeah. What the? So what the inspector wants them to do is to set up some sort of automatic, continuous temperature monitoring, so that each container that is filled is at one sixty-five or above.
0: Uh,
1: so, that's ridiculous, right?
0: That is ridiculous.
1: It's it's yeah. So,
0: and, and what's the what, what's the hazard that they're trying to control? Some vegetative cell. Right, right. Like it's not even the right. You know,
1: right now, now ROP, Clostridium botulinum, seafood—that's a separate discussion. Now, in my my opinion, if they if they meet um, appropriate cooling standards to to minimize the risk of Clostridium perfringens then you know all evidence is that, that that will also minimize risk for Clostridium botulinum. So if they if they and and this is another thing that the inspector was dinging them for is they're following basically they're following USDA appendix B guidelines for cooling meat products and the inspector is like well for seafood you need to follow the FDA HACCP guidance and it's like okay because perfringens Reads the regulations, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Right. So, and we're using com-based model to predict perfringens growth during cooling, anyway. So it's like, well, you know, the bacteria don't really care, right? They care about pH and salt content. They really don't care whether it's chicken or beef or seafood or bean dip or or what have you.
0: Yeah.
1: But the other thing that the inspector is worried about is, well, what about Listeria monocytogenes? Well, what about Listeria monocytogenes? This is a frozen product. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There might be Listeria floating into the top of the kettle at, but it's hitting the soup yeah. that's at 200 um, and, and it might be and – th- and there might be listeria in the finished product, but it's frozen and it's being cooled in such a way that there's minimal listeria growth during the cooling process, right? So what are they concerned about? Well, what the inspector is concerned about is his interpretation of the regulations, right? It's, it's not – it becomes not a discussion about microbiology and managing risk. It becomes, well – you're not meeting the regulations as I interpret them, so I am going to ding you for it.
0: Right, right, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna make a make a point to to you're going to have to do something that is like impossible or impractical
1: or hu- hugely yeah. expensive for for no no real significant increase in risk, right? Reduction in risk,
0: right? Right, yeah. For for what? Oh man, that's crazy.
1: So anyway. What's on my list of things to do this weekend to write a write an angry report and then yeah. and, and then tone it down a little bit <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man well it's it's funny i i have um this world of r o p there are two things that I've now really gotten into since moving to North Carolina because you know I didn't know anything mm-hmm. about home food preservation before mm-hmm. I got here mm-hmm. and now I know a lot about it <laughs> um and, and, ROP over the last year or so being part of this variance committee, um, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that I see is ROP. And so I'm the, I'm the sciencey guy on this, on this committee. So they kind of look to me and be like, okay, well, what is this? How does this work? I'm like, uh, I better find out. And. Uh, our good friend Brian Brian Nummer has, mm-hmm. has like some phenomenal stuff on this. Oh yeah, yeah. He's
1: he's really, you know, one of the go to extension food safety guys in the U.S. On ROP, he's really made a name for himself.
0: Yeah, and he's and and Brian's great. Like that's the thing is it's he he's,
1: well he's he was trained at University of Georgia. Of course he's well, great. Of
0: course, and um he did a lot of work with our friend Elizabeth Andrus. Yes, indeed. So that makes him even, even greater, even greater, even greater. But, um, but the stuff he like j- just his interpretation, I've, you know, I've been going through some of the documents that he's written and some of the PowerPoints he's put together. And it's like, man, I don't, I, I can't, I can't do this. I don't have to make any changes. I don't have to mess around with it. It's very clear. Yep. Um, and, and he, I, you know, if we were having a discussion with him, I think he'd be having, you know, looking at this in a similar way. And that's, he's been a big, um, proponent well, I mean, I I I, I wasn't around. I, I know you were, but I, my sense is he was a big driver behind um, the changes in the 2013 food code around Cook chill from a you know at CF at the CFP level mm-hmm. of here's this here's what the science says that um, we can really push date coding of mm-hmm. this product to 30 days, um, you know, for all these reasons. And and he's yeah so. I'm I'm just seeing so much ROP, and I keep thinking about Brian. Yeah, and
1: we, we yeah, I was on that ROP committee, and that was one of the committees where we, we really did good work. And I don't know if you've seen the the report coming from that committee, but there are some there are some beautiful graphs and figures. And uh, I will I will uh, modestly claim responsibility for those beautiful graphs and figures. Excellent. Uh, a, under Brian's direction, not
0: even a humble brag.
1: No, no, not no. even humble. No, I'm a, I'm I'm a little bit not humble because because they're honestly They're that man, good. They are they are gorgeous. I've seen
0: them. I like them. I like what you did there.
1: <laughs> Thanks.
0: You're welcome. Um, so, I, so just to continue this discussion because mm-hmm. this is what we this is what we do. Um, mm-hmm. I had I talked to another another individual, a restaurant owner, um, who is seeking. A, I, I'm all about variances now because it's really interesting. That's. <laughs> I, I just answered my own question in my head of why are you so interested in variances? The, the, the answer is because it's different. It's like someone's really trying to, trying to move something forward and the regulations are hindering them. So let's try and do it. Now, sometimes they don't have science behind it and that's a problem. Um, so I, uh, I I have been put in contact uh, with a restaurant, uh, sort of a high-end restaurant, progressive foodie kind of person mm-hmm. um, in Durham, uh, North Carolina, who is doing a whole bunch of canning of stuff on site. And I don't know exactly why. Like they're making jams and preserves and their own pickles and they're canning them. And, and I mean basically I know why. I don't know um, what what the, the purpose of If they're really trying to do large batches And store it for a long time Or, or whatever But So he's got to go through the process For a variance for that specialized process um, That wasn't the in- interesting part The interesting part was Talking to him about um, Sous vide And um, and, oh, you know, and, we, and we should we should explain that sous vide
1: is French for under vacuum, and it basically is a synonym. As I understand it, it's a synonym 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 for reduced oxygen packaging.
0: It is. It Am I is. correct in that? Okay. You're correct, and it's it's really a cooking process in reduced oxygen packaging. Mm. So you would um, uh, fairly specific uh, temperatures. You'd cook, you know, usually protein foods, eggs, meats. And, um, and you can control the, you know, you can get very specific, specific and control, um, exactly what temperature usually to a 10th of a degree of what the product gets to. And then you hold it for a long time. Um, so, so he, this, this individual is cooking a squab in sous vide squab and what wants to serve that, that squab, um, you know, his, his term medium rare, and he said, I don't know what the temperature that is internally, but I'll tell you that I sous vide it, um, for, um, I sous vide it. Yeah. I sous vide it. That's that's the, yeah, I sous vide it. Oh, that's uh, funny. Um, for, um, I don't know what he said, 90 minutes at 145 degrees Fahrenheit. And so I go to, you know, FSIS appendix a, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, you're that, that seems reasonable. I'm like, do you measure it? Do you? And he's like, no, I don't even know how I would do that. I was like, you have a thermometer? <laughs> Oh yeah, I guess I could just stick it in to make sure that it's at that temperature at the end. And I was like, it's, it's, so anyway, this whole process was it w- was fine. What we got into a discussion was why you know he's like I'm not a McDonald's and he used mm-hmm. that term over and over again. You know mm-hmm. I'm not doing everything the exact same every time. Why do I have to worry about this stuff? People don't get sick and if they get sick they should just know when they go to a restaurant that there's a chance that you might get sick people have these experiences all the time and I was like whoa hang on a second dude yeah. I was like are we really having this discussion um, and and he so i when i was doing my phd i interviewed a bunch of restaurant owners about the cost of foodborne illness and what they viewed these it was all independent restaurants mm-hmm. and one quote sticks with me which which i thought about in this conversation it was a, a restaurant in manhattan kansas and it was a like bar and grill kind of place. And we'd already had a really interesting interview. Cause the guy told me when the health inspector shows up, he doesn't trust his staff enough to, to pass a health inspection. So he sends everybody who's there on break. So he is oh, dear God. Oh, it's incredible. Right. So he says so one guy, I mean, so there's maybe 15 tables, 20 tables in this little restaurant and he is taking orders, cooking, and, and, you know, cashing out people. And he goes, fortunately, the health inspector is only here for about an hour. So I'm not doing, you know, everything. It, it's slow, but I, but I can handle it, but I don't trust him enough. And I was like, mm. damn, great. Okay. I don't probably want to eat here. Cause what's it like when the health inspector is not here? Do you trust him enough to not make me sick? But the same guy said, uh, in the discussion, about what does it cost for a foodborne illness? What, you know, what, do you worry about lawsuits is kind of the stuff that I, that I, well, I was interested in. He goes lawsuits. He's like, seriously, it's like people get upset about this. What do I owe them? Some toilet paper. <sighs> and so that was the same kind of mentality of this, this guy that I was talking to. He's like, people should just know when you go out to eat that there's a chance that you might get sick. And I was like, okay, but what happens if they end up in hospital? And I, of course now he's, he's sucked me in, right? Like he's like a troll on Twitter oh, Yeah. Oh where, where I was like, well, well, what about this? You know, it's like, so what happens with the, with the health costs? You know, someone gets salmonella and they, they go to the hospital for, for eight days and he's like, well, that's not very, you know, that, that's pretty uncommon. I was like, well, it's, it's common enough that, you know, and I cited a couple of outbreaks yep. that, that we've yep. had and, and I was like that, there, there you go. And he goes, well, He's like, well, that's the problem with our system is that we don't have healthcare that will cover that. And and insurance companies are just making a fortune at at people getting sick from restaurants. And I was like, well, yep, that's the system, though. Um, So he's like, my customers wouldn't sue me. And I was like, well, what about your customers' insurance companies? Because they're trying to Mm -hmm. recoup the costs. And and so we even got into this, like, esoteric debate on – whether he should have product liability insurance. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you how much I see outbreaks get settled for. Mm -hmm. Do you carry that kind of insurance? He goes, no, I'll put me out of business. He's like, I'm not McDonald's. And then, uh, and that was it. That was our conversation. Mm. It was weird. Wow. But, but maybe, maybe, maybe
1: we could do like, uh, like that Senator from North Carolina Ah, suggested on
0: the list. (laughs) Yes. Tom Tillis could I opt
1: us oh but just before we before we transition to that though i just want to put a little um um uh just a, a brief digression in place. One of the things that, so as you as you know, as we've talked about before on the podcast, uh, I run a program in my lab that inspects uh, Rutgers University dining halls, and one of the things that we have started doing recently, in response to a request from the university sanitarian that we work very closely with, is we have we so we do essentially a full scale health department style inspection, but we've added. A a a piece of that inspection recently, where we go to the person in charge and we ask them a food safety question, and Mm -hmm. then we either they get it right or they get it wrong. Um, if they get it right, we just give them a check mark, and if they get it wrong, we record which of the the questions are that uh which what the questions were that they that they that they got wrong, what the question was that they got wrong, and so and and. you know, and I think we 're talking about evolution and the change of the food safety system. I think that that is one of the things that I think cFP has been very good at, and one of the changes that i'm i 'm happy to see and it gets to this guy like dismissing all of his employees because he doesn 't want them around um, is like really what matters what seems to matter is what does uh, the person in charge? no right and, and 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 so, asking the person in charge specific questions about food safety, I think is a great way to start and I was delighted to 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 make that change to our inspection protocols um, and anyway, I just wanted to get a, in a yeah. plug for you know that kind of style of inspection moving away from. You know, floors, walls, and ceilings, and and getting more to the heart of the matter, like times and temperatures, and logbooks, and 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 again, asking questions of the person in charge.
0: It's it's cool. I mean, I, I'm 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 very into that world, and um, as so I co-chair or I'm the vice chair. I don't know. I guess I co-chair um, a CFP committee uh, that was started this year under Council Two, maybe. Um, on, um, food handler training with some, you know, some, some guidelines where we've been charged with coming up with that similar to the food manager training. And, and, and as I've been working through the literature on this, what you, what you said is really, really interesting. And it's, and it's key. It's what the literature says is that the knowledge of the manager is, is like a go or no go part. And mm-hmm. in a in looking at um, outbreak, the, um, S, the SNet folks at uh, at CDC have done some really good stuff on on mm-hmm. this. On is there a certified food protection manager? Mm-hmm. What do they know? And, and that matters. That that seems to matter. But on the food handler side, the knowledge of the food handlers doesn't seem to matter. What matters is what they do, mm. which is which is really interesting, right? So, well,
1: and it, and what they do may be in response to what their manager who Knows or doesn't know something, maybe right. telling them right
0: exactly. So it's so so they so you can put food handlers through knowledge based programs, and and they'll 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 be able to recite temperatures, they'll be able to do whatever. But that might that doesn't matter as much as what their manager knows and how that's right pushed pushed out. Which which it makes sense in an organization, but it's interesting as we go through this process because I think the easy way out of a food handler training program is let's make them write a test. And, mm-hmm. and that's not uh, the, the literature says, uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so no make them write a test. Right. Right. Not the workers. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Not the workers, right. not the workers. Right. Um, so that's the, yeah. So, so I've been, I've, I've been diving into that over the last couple of weeks and we, we have a, uh, a meeting coming up and trying to come up with stuff, but it's, it's a contentious issue. It's, it's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about. Let's talk about our our our, uh, senior senator, junior senator from the great city of North Carolina. I don't know which which senator he is. We've I guess he's our he's our junior senator. Does that work? Sure. (laughs) Is that what they're called? I have no idea. Well, we have two senators. He's the newest. Okay,
1: Senate. and and he's a, he's a he's not a state senator. He is a no. He's like he is a,
0: a, a the big show.
1: The, <laughs> the big show. Yeah. He
0: is a fe- federal.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, he is a, fe- a senator in 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 the in Washington D.C. That yeah. kind of senator. That
0: kind of senator. Yeah. yeah, not an Ottawa senator. They're a hockey team. <laughs> Tom Tillis is not left wing <laughs> on the third line of the Ottawa Senators. As far as you know. As far as I know, I think that's uh, I don't know Colin Green. Um, so, so anyway, Tom Senator Tillis, um, we'll link to this because it's pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he he was on C-SPAN. He was doing this panel. I don't know exactly what it was for, but it wasn't an interview. It wasn't one of those uh, Sarah Palin gotcha interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he he was talking about over over-regula- regulation and gave an example that that is pretty awesome. Um, so here it is. Tillis says in this in this panel, I was having a discussion with someone, and we were at a Starbucks in my district, and we were talking about certain regulations. Where I felt like maybe you should allow businesses to opt out. He said, as long as they indicate through proper disclosure or advertising, through impo- employment literature or whatever else. And then he goes on to say, I don't have a problem with Starbucks opting out of hand washing. As long as they post a sign that says we don't require our employees to wash their hands and then they post it, the market will take care of it. And and so he, you know, that, that part, um, didn't really get picked up as much as, you know, the headline of Senator suggests that businesses shouldn't wash their hands. Um, he, he, in, in one like true sense of, of what, what we write about on barf blog, was sort of saying, give everybody a bunch of information, and let the market decide. Um, in this case, I you know I don't I don't agree with 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 it, um, but I understand kind of what you know, what he was saying. But but he got skewered for, by like lots of people. It was a bipartisan skewership <laughs> because it was okay. So you're all about no regulations, but you're you're taking you're saying someone can opt out of a regulation as long as they follow another regulation of posting a sign. Exactly. Uh, which is awesome. It's regulations all the way down. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, the other thing that, you know, that, you know, and you, well, I'll, I'll turn this over to you because I know you did a, an interview about this, but the thing that I saw was um, he was talking about how our system needs to be like that. And our system actually already is like that. And it, the whole variance are, you know, the first half of this podcast that we talked about someone Wants to do something outside of the law. They want to, in some cases, opt out of a certain regulation, and we allow for that. We have variances, so it's it's not it's you know it exists, but as we just talked about, it's not it's an onerous process for some uh, to go through. But they but someone you know Starbucks could uh, apply for a variance to their hand washing. to uh, that to the, the hand washing part of the food code and say we're we're gonna take care of the public health um, impacts of this by posting a sign and making sure that people understand that we don't wash our hands and i i can't I can't imagine that Starbucks would ever do that um and I can't imagine that the industry was lobbying Senator Tillis for opting out of hand washing um but it was you know so so but I guess the like his his point was our system should allow for it? Well, it does. It already does. Right. Um and 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 it's but it it blew up into you know he he I think he did not probably have the best week uh last week. Yeah. Well, but
1: you know and 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 again, I am I am sympathetic to the direction that he's going right. I mean, Absolutely. and I, I mean, I'm a guy who studied hand washing. I'm very interested in hand washing alternatives. I think we I think we had a, a Twitter discussion about this. I remember weighing in on this, and you know, my point was, well, maybe maybe the person who's working the register at Starbucks, uh, you know doesn't need to wash their hands every time they touch their hair or their clothing before they handle your coffee cup maybe hand sanitizer would be appropriate under those circumstances and so i'm and, and the, the the problem is we know from actual research on on hand washing is that there is um, uh, there are a tremendous number of times if you take a literal interpretation of the food code, there's a tremendous number of times during the day when a food worker should have to, according to the code, wash their hands. Such So much that something like 18 minutes out of every hour, they would spend going to and from the hand-washing sink and washing their hands, which would be ridiculous and also honestly would lead to dermatitis on their hands because they would be washing their hands so much. And so the question is how do we – get out of the situation, right? Well, I think one of the ways we get out of the situation is to change the code. But as I've discovered from sitting on the Hand Hygiene Conference for Food Protection Committee for you know a couple of CFP cycles now, there's tremendous resistance to changing the code, right? Like I think, I mean, the real, right. the real, yeah. risk, the real risk management comes from taking ill workers and getting them away from contacting food, right? That's, that's to, and again, I don't have a risk assessment to back that up, but that's my intuitive you know, back of the envelope, top of my head risk assessment, that that's the single most important thing that we can do. I also know that not all events that are listed in the food code as triggering a hand wash are of equal importance. For example, if I go to the toilet and I move my bowels, that is a different level of risk than if I touch the hair on my head to scratch my head. right Now, yeah, there could be bacteria in my hair. There could be staph aureus. I could have gotten it on my fingers. I would then have to touch a food product. Staph aureus would have to grow. It'd have to reach the level. You know That food would have to be held out of temperature. It'd have to support the growth. It'd have to be out of temperature control. It'd have to reach a dangerous level as opposed to if I've got E. coli or norovirus or salmonella, and I wipe my ass and I don't wash my hands properly, um, you know, and then I touch any food or even uh, at the outside of a Starbucks cup that someone else is going to touch with their hands and then touch their hands to their mouth. Okay, that that is a real quantifiable risk. Whereas the risk from me scratching my head. Uh, or, or touching my arm, or, or touching my clothing, you know that is that is a relatively speaking a smaller risk. So, how do we again? And we're we're sort of back in this, the same yeah. place that we get to often in this podcast is how do we move forward with sort of practical recommendations for people reflecting the complexities of the world that we live in. And, and I, I don't know, but I think it starts with the realization that the hand-washing recommendations in the code are broken. And But we, but, but again, having sit, sat on the CFP committee for years now, I don't see – we just go round and round. Uh, and, and in fact, we have a, a, a conference call later today <laughs> where I suspect we will not make progress on this. Not, not that I want to be negative, but I, I just don't think we're going to get there anytime soon. So, I'm. I don't know, Ben.
0: I don't know. Do we do we just throw our hands up in the air? <laughs> no puns. No pun intended. Because hand washing, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, uh, hand washing, right? Yeah, but it's. I mean, it's kind of like that. It's it's it's. Um, in this case, it, it's the path of least resistance is to to identify over and over again that the system doesn't work and and say, but it's it's really difficult to change it because there's some some dogma. Um, b- behind all, all, all of this, um, and, and, and there's, there's another piece of the risk assessment pie that, that goes with this, that after talking with, uh, with Jacus, Leah Jacobs about it, um, is that, you know, you're you, what you talked about in here are the times where it's really important, really, really matters, mm-hmm. especially with asymptomatic carriers, of norovirus and salmonella, which, which there's a fairly high percentage. So it's, so, you know, you, you had, um, one of the things that you had kind of suggested in your, in your discussion was, you know, what that sign should say, not, it shouldn't just say employees should, didn't wash hands, eat here at your own risk. It should really say here are the, the employees that have been ill with a foodborne illness in the last 60 days. And, and, and they might not have washed their hands. After they went to the washroom, which is really important, and and, and we, you know, we, but we can't catch all of it because they might be asymptomatic carriers, right? Right. So, so it's like a really like, like if we really wanted to get into the the risk based um, world, that, those are the types of things that someone would have to that that someone would have to know to make a decision on, right. and, Yeah,
1: and 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 they should and they should have to wear like a special outfit, you know, with a, a red F. <laughs> for feces or something right, right Right. so i could i could see which employees scarlet those app. are yeah scarlet app exactly
0: um I, and so so I, I imagine you know the folks on the hand washing committee are like well that's you know that that's not practical so we'll just make sure that people wash their hands all the time and then we'll we'll just assume that the compliance is 20% <laughs> right like that's that's the other thing is um,
1: well the, the the problem is they're assuming compliance is a hundred percent right right that's yeah that's what I, yeah because people we assume the that' twenty right yeah yeah the,
0: that that was kind of the other under undertone of the um, of Tillis's comments that I thought were great is that no one said you know what a lot of people are already opting out of it right <laughs> like right like and they're they're just they're not posting any signs they're not yep. you can't inspect right. for it yeah um that's people right. people just don't do it yep. uh and, and and we have a lot of illnesses from from that right. or, or we don't, I mean, I guess, you know, that, that's the thing is we don't, we don't, we don't, we, we know, um, we can look at the, we, we can make some calculations on, on what it might look like, but yeah, it's, it, it was, it, it was an interesting week of, of discussions around that. Um, and I hope you, you enjoyed maybe the most popular picture I've ever taken, which is a picture of. <laughs> I happened when this all broke. I happened to have a a, a Starbucks cup right. uh, in my in my possession from the. Mm-hmm. Grande vanilla non-fat latte that I had mm-hmm. just consumed. So mm-hmm. I, I decided to put a sticky note on it that said, yep. "Note: Your food was made without the benefit of hand washing. May contain may contain traces of." I crossed out soy, peanuts, and said feces.
1: Yep, yep. Br- brilliant, brilliant, brilliant uh, photo. That's exactly why we have social media. <laughs> it was, uh, and, I... and, and and yeah, and you wrote you wrote a nice post on Barth blog which features that photo, and we'll we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes for anybody that has not seen it.
0: Oh, it was a fun week, though. It, at least we were relevant, right? For, right for a couple of days. Right. I like that. I liked it. Got me. It got me all fired up. We. We also. Um, uh, well, I, you know, we'll probably end on this, but um, mm. we also had a, a an outbreak at our at our university, at NC State, last week. That that sounds like it was norovirus, but no one wanted to say the word norovirus, and f- the public health folks didn't want to get stool samples to confirm it was norovirus. I don't know. I don't know all the details of it. I don't know. It's, it's, it sounds like it was a bit of a mess. Um, but the, the, I posted a few things on this as well. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, for a place that has, there's some frustration in my, in my voice on this, Mm. um, for a place that has a lot of people that work on norovirus and people that communicate about outbreaks, Mm -hmm. um, we didn't do a very good job at communicating about an outbreak or talking about the why norovirus is special.
1: But, but in in, in fairness, uh, neither you nor Leanne Jacobs are in charge of communication for the university on this issue. Right. That is that I that is correct. <laughs> but but yeah, it is it is it is frustrating. And and every time every time I see one, and we talked about this b- before as well. Every time I see one of these outbreaks at a university, I I immediately. You know, alert my colleagues uh, yeah. at Rectors Dining because, shoot, you know, it's just luck of the draw. Could Could happen here and we need to be ready. So, and,
0: and yeah, it's just, I guess the the thing is we're, it's, it's a machine, right? Like the university system is all a machine and we've talked about our frustrations with some of that in the past. And it, it just became very personal in this one where it's like you have people that literally have written papers on how you handle this. Literally, mm-hmm. the research, all of it. We're here, and and you don't you 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 have this knee jerk reaction of don't tell people what it is because it might be bad press. It's like yep. no, tell people yep. what it is so they know that they can't use hand sanitizer against it, and, they, right. and if they're going to clean it up, if someone in their dorm sick, that they can't spray Lysol on it, mm-hmm. um, and and just you know and and. Uh, yeah, and over this
1: happens been over and over and over and over again that people repeat the same bad risk communication practices. Right? It's that that crazy. when when the, when it gets tough, people just retreat to these familiar patterns that we know that that peer reviewed article after peer reviewed article show just is the absolutely the wrong thing to do, and yet people still continue to do them.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah and it 's the you know it it 's frustrating when you know the industry that that you know sometimes reads our stuff acts correctly and but we don 't have any influence over the institution that pays us mm-hmm. <laughs> um, My favorite part of this not to bang too much on it, but mm-hmm. um, I will read you some some quotes from uh their the messaging one is um, you know, the director of public relations at NC state said that the students are exhibiting symptoms that are consistent with the stomach flu. Don, are you familiar with the, uh, what, what genus is that in the stomach, stomach, stomachitis? flu? I believe fluidius? it's
1: st- stomachus fluvius. Fluvius.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, or that might be something from Harry Potter. I'm not sure. It is, I think so. It's Quidditch, Quidditch <laughs> flu. Um, but my favorite part is that, you know, this, uh, I'll read you, um, you know, the, Student Health posted a notification on its website saying that it was here. According to the post, symptoms of the virus, the stomach flu virus, included uh, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Yeah, you know, blah blah blah. Norovirus, probably. Um, uh, community, or sorry, the uh, here. This is from uh, the technician, which is our student newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, Leah Arnett, director of Student Health Services at NC State, deferred comments about the, s- the stomach flu virus to commu- University Communications. Um, Justin Hammond, director of marketing and communications, the office of vice chancellor and dean of academic student affairs, sent an email that university of communications is handling all inquiries and the information Lane Gladstone, the president of NC state's chapter of ADPI, pi, which was one of the, um, Fraternities, the sororities, sororities, yeah, it was associated with this, declined to comment. President of NC State's chapter of Kappa Alpha Order, who is a fraternity involved in the outbreak, did not respond to multiple requests for comment. The Office of Greek Life declined to comment about the situation. So just- so clearly they have, they have
1: read some sort of advice that says we need to designate a single person as the point of, of contact for this, and then only that person talks to the news media.
0: Yeah. And, and the best part is right. that the that our our student run um, newspaper called them out for it in Good. a, in, a, in, a not, in, in, in subtle in a subtle way like oh, let's let's all these people that wouldn't give us an information I like yeah it. no well well done
1: uh, props uh, props to the um, the, technician, the technician which is which is a which is a really interesting name for a uh, a student newspaper
0: it is it is I don't know the history of it but yeah the technician it is uh, so yeah that was uh that was that was the week that was nice um, but yeah we were relevant for a few days, and I like that
1: that's good so it's good to be relevant I, is, I, I strive to be relevant as much as I can
0: yeah sometimes you feel more relevant than other times indeed uh, I think that's a show
1: I think that's a show
0: hey uh thanks for thanks for jumping on uh, j- jumping on the interwebs with me on your yeah. your fiOS tubes. Yeah, I uh, think
1: uh, I think the ones where we don't prepare our best.
0: <laughs> uh, ding! Um, I don't even have you've got. I'm sure you've got your bell close by. Uh, oh, there it is. Excellent. Um, and this is episode whatever one one hundred and seventy six. No, uh, seventy six. Maybe no, nope, seventy seven. Um, is that, sure. Yeah, uh, whatever you say. It is. I'm looking at the at the countdown. So a, episode 77. Okay. Uh, we just posted episode 72. Um, and and man, Don, have we got good feedback about having Manan Sharma on?
1: Oh, uh, we should. You should just fire me and just have him on all the time.
0: Maybe we'll just do a spinoff, kind of like uh, <laughs> Food Safety Talk Two with with Manan Sharma. He was Perfect. good. Did you? I don't know if you've listened to it. I,
1: I have it downloaded. I have not listened yet. It's oh. it's in my queue.
0: Oh, okay. You're going for both sides. <laughs> it's, it's <downloaded. laughs> uh um, I'll give you the my favorite. It's spoiler alert on this. Mm, okay. My favorite favorite part, maybe of any podcast that that I've been part of, including all the ones with you, uh-huh. is that in the middle of the podcast, Manon is is in his office and and maintenance people come in (laughs) to ask him about a broken freezer that he put a work order in on like 14 months prior to the recording of the podcast. Of course he did. Of course he did. and, and, And they're showing up now. For this of course. Work order.
1: It was phenomenal. Well, it's, it's good that they show up. I mean, we, we put in work orders at Rutgers and people just never show up. It's it's much better when they show up after 14 months. Oh,
0: it's so good. So it's in there. It's still, it's like, I had to leave it in. I, I thought it's- Even it's even better than Bill Marler's daughter asking him for it's, his wallet. It is. Yeah, exactly. Wow. It, it was on par That's, with, where's your wallet? Excellent. So anyway, Manon, Manon was, was good. So check out that episode if you haven't already. Episode 72 was was fun and, and, uh, and people seem to like it. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, uh, I will. Uh, I'll talk to you uh, again in the future at some point. Sounds good. All right. Thanks. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. stuff we got stuff yeah that
1: was good that was a good one
0: that was fun sometimes you know probably what happens is we have so you know when we do prepare we've got five or six things and we're like oh that's really good that's really good and we try to squeeze them all in mm-hmm. and this was uh was much more free-flowing i think you know we, we both we both stay up on top of what's going on and then we have things that come in and out of our lives and it was just good that was a really good discussion
1: yeah, yeah and it's the one – I think the ones where we don't prepare tend to have a more natural flow. Yeah. Um, but again, I always worry that, that, that we won't have anything to talk about. But yeah, I guess I shouldn't worry about that. But I, I, I think it's still better to at least prepare some of the time. Yeah. I mean I
0: don't know. I, well, because you forget, right? You may yeah. not, I think we just take a different approach. It's like here's a catalog of things that we might talk about. Not, yeah, it's, here are all the things I want to talk about. Right, right, right. Exactly.
1: And then and then, the conversation goes how the conversation goes. I like it. Like, for example, one of the things that I had to talk about is uh, the awesome annual meeting that we are going to have and uh, that we have so many abstracts. The program committee is working really hard I'm going to see the program committee when I go to Portland later this month, and then I'm going to see you in Anaheim. But we didn't need to talk about any of that. No,
0: exactly, because it's it's happening. It's all happening. <laughs> and, and I did see a picture of Brian Satter's uh, stack of 950 abstracts yes. that he's reading. Yes. Does that do you have to do you read all of them? Is that how this works? Like okay, the program well, committee reads all of them. Yes. Yeah, like, so I mean, everybody on that committee ranks all of them.
1: No, so the so couple of things. So number one, um, the uh, president-elect and the president serve as board reps to the program committee. So I am not the board rep to the program committee uh, this this year. Um, when I was on the program committee. Um, what you would do is we would, uh, and it, the program committee has increased in size. I don't remember if it's been since I served, but basically, you read a, a portion of the abstracts, and then uh, then you break into like I think you read a, maybe a quarter.
0: Oh my gosh, a so quarter
1: or a sixth of the abstract. Still, um, it's,
0: you're you're reading, but hundred and fifty plus. Well, but right,
1: but then you as a you meet with your subgroup and you reject a certain percentage, the rejected ones go to a different subgroup who has not seen them before. Oh, Those people then read and review them. It's a and a and if it and if and if it gets a thumbs down like if it's a majority if it's a thumbs down from one group it goes to the next group and if it's a thumbs down from that group then those are rejected right so you have to go through like so not everybody on the committee will read your abstract but i think at least half the people on the committee will read your abstract and then typically one of the officers and if all of those people agree that it's a thumbs down then you're out wow so 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 if you're you know it is a, it is a it is a thorough process and it's a fairly good fairly robust process i won't pretend that it's perfect but it's it's pretty darn good and then and then they have to organize the technical talks and and posters into st- you know, groups and, and sort them. And then at the same time, they're also working with all the people who are submitting symposia and the symposia have nominally been approved, but then they're at this meeting at the, the, the meeting in advance of the annual meeting at the, at the venue. So again, this time it's going to be Portland. They will, um, again, put together the entire program, uh, sort of slotting things so that, you know, not all of the dairy talks are at the same time and the fresh produce talks are, you know, spread throughout. And, and again, it's a, it's it's a complicated process and involves lots of sticky notes on the wall and um, organizing stuff. So it's a, it's a really – I mean it's, it's, a, it's some of the hardest, most enjoyable work that you'll ever do within the association in my opinion. Wow. <laughs>
0: It, I, I, so while, while I'm, I'm listening to you as I'm also reading the Wikipedia page for the double elimination tournament, which is what you just described, <laughs> this is – as I when I was growing up playing minor hockey, it was also known oh. as the double knockout, yeah. uh-huh. um, which is a tournament where you are eliminated after you win um, – if you lose two games or matches, mm-hmm. uh, and you must, some in some cases, uh, when you get to the end, when and clearly in the program committee, it is a tournament where you have a winner at the top of that bracket of 950, um, they will have to uh, sometimes win two games in a row to double knock out somebody. Right, um, Not to be confused with the double
1: knockout, which is a rare thing in the world of martial arts, which is right. what you find if you Google double knockout. Is
0: that a, it's a Bruce Lee move, I'm sure. Um, I think it's where two people knock themselves – knock each other out simultaneously. That, is, that sounds extremely rare. <laughs> um, I Just my favorite part of the double knockout or the double elimination tournament is uh-huh. there is a winner's bracket and a loser's bracket or could be called an upper and a lower bracket. But you can move from the loser's bracket into the winner's bracket. Um it's it's complex you'll have to check out the uh the Wikipedia page but it is known it's extensively used in video game tournaments table mm. football tournaments mm. uh popular in amateur wrestling at all levels surfing kiteboarding mm. uh and curling bonspiels
1: mm. I think it's also used in fencing
0: <laughs> yeah it might it might be um also uh in its mo- in a modified form the All Ireland Senior Gaelic Football Championships and of the All Ireland ireland okay. senior hurling championship use a double elimination tournament for everybody knows that ben that's true it's for my uh well who do you have in your um in your uh hurling uh fantasy uh, fantasy hurling league? <laughs> who's your first pick ah. in that league this year was it uh was it seamus seamus o'brien or uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> potatoes mcgee uh yes him too <laughs> Oh, uh, we've just offended all of our Irish friends. Um, Fortunately, they're usually fairly good-hearted folks. Now isn't, isn't Hurling isn't that Scottish, not Irish? Now no, we've, offended, no. we've offended both the Scots and the Irish. I think you're so. thinking of curling. <laughs> yes. I think you're, that's a different – it's different. It's with a C. Hurling is uh, – it's Gaelic and Irish uh, origin. I guess there would might be a – It's also um, shares a common Gaelic root with the sport of shinty. Of course which, it does. Which is pra- played predominantly in Scotland. I was I was thinking of haggis. I think yeah. You were thinking of uh, of um, of Carol, which, Wall- which also involves hurling, but only after uh, you eat it. I think. I think you were thinking of Carol Wallace. She's from yeah. Scotland. Did she listen to the show? I don't know. She's, she. I, I hope so. Sometimes she Sh- might. shout out to Carol Wallace. You hey. should listen, Carol, if you're not. Yeah, Carol, check check us out. Um, yeah, so. Well, it's good. I'm looking forward to my hurling fantasy, uh, fantasy hurling draft next week, in in Cork, gotta fly over for that. <laughs> oh, here <laughs> oh, I'm laughing so hard I'm hitting the head.
1: <laughs> hey, On
0: guess guess where I put my microphone today?
1: I don't know. In okay. A shoe. I'm...
0: Excellent. Yeah, it's not bad. Excellent. I didn't mess around. You I... didn't have to do this the whole time. <laughs> no, that's that's very annoying when you do that. I know, I know. I, I've figured it out this time. So I've got this shoe. It's an old, it's an old high top shoe that I used to wear. Or actually, uh-huh. that I used to wear curling.
1: <laughs> Max, Maxwell Maxwell Smart. He was used to talking to his shoe.
0: Yeah. This is, a, this is a shoe. It's a shoe phone show. Excellent. Um, Schedule the next episode. We you. should do that because you have, you have a hard out. I do in website. in eight minutes. I have uh, I have to shower and get to my to sam's school for 11 30 for a valentine's party nice yeah it's pretty awesome cool all right all right well uh, hey it's been a it's been a slice
1: yeah have a have a fun uh have a fun uh valentine's school thing
0: i will it's gonna be cool and i will see you in a couple of weeks before we yeah. record
1: yeah yeah Next that'll podcast.
0: be fun yeah good fun. stuff all right i'll uh, talk to you later all right take care man bye-bye
1: bye